So I'm supposed to be recording a promo for the new podcast, and I've been working on it all day, and I'm totally bombing. What podcast is this? It's the new sister podcast to Mormon Expression called Mormon Expression Voices. So why is this different than the, than the regular Mormon Expression podcast? It's supposed to be a venue for people to talk about their experiences with the church, like their disaffection or, you know, how the church affects them with their family. It's going to focus on people's stories. It won't be discussions about church history or church doctrine the way Mormon expression is. It will only be about people's journeys and their experiences and things that they would like to share and discuss in relation to the church, of course. But we want to cover like all parts of Mormonism. So we're hoping that believers, you know, will come on and tell their stories and that there'll be happy podcasts and funny podcasts as well as the sad disaffection stories. So you're not just talking to bitter apostates then? No, we want to talk to believers, people who've never been Mormon. I've already done an interview with one evangelical who evangelizes Mormons. I'm sure we'll do more. We want to talk to anybody who has a story or an experience that they want to share about Mormonism. So you expect listeners to get involved? Yeah, we want the people who listen to the podcast to think up things that they would like to have on. Maybe that would be just a casual conversation with a family member or just telling their own story without an interviewer and send it to us. Or they could contact us and we would help them put it together and get it recorded. So what's the website? The URL is www.mormonexpression.com forward slash voices. I guess these days we don't have to use the www anymore. People know that now. Right. We'll have a separate iTunes feed. Yeah, it will be its own podcast, so you'll have to subscribe to the iTunes feed for it. Okay, well, soon does it start? It's going to be starting the first part of November, so very, very shortly. I'm excited about it. I've already got a few episodes in the bag ready to go, and McCall Erickson has agreed to let us use her song, A Better Me, for our bumper music. Things are trucking right along, and before you know it, we'll be on the air. All right, well, it sounds like you're going to kick ass. Better get that promo recorded. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Mormon Expression. I'm going to be your host tonight, Glenn Osland, and I am joined tonight by three friends of mine. Uh, let's start off with uh, Mike Tannehill. Mike, how you doing? Oh. Good, good to hear, good to see you again. You're seeing me. I'll talk to you again. <laughs> okay, well, e- e- either way. And uh, we also have uh, Randy Snyder joining us. Randy, how you doing? Good evening, everyone. And uh, we have Bob Coswell. It's Caswell, but Is I'll it, take it. Wait, not Coswell? No. Nope, nope. Do you, you want to consider changing it? Because this is what everybody's <laughs> going to know you as now. I'll just be Bob. Okay, it should be Bob. All right. Good, good to be back. It's been it's been a little while. It's the Big Love Podcast last time I was on. Yeah. Yeah, and we kind of broke off and did our own thing on that for a while, which was a lot of fun. So um, the reason we're together tonight, uh, we're recording this the Sunday, uh, what is it, the 30th of October, 2011, uh, right before Halloween. And... Uh, uh, a, a week or so ago, I went through a hell house here in Bloomington. And uh, a hell house is something that um, uh, a Christian church puts on um, to, to depict, what, what is it called? It's, it's like a, a demon-led tour 
um, to hell. And, and really what they're doing is they're taking advantage of the Halloween season to instead of put, put on a, a haunted house to scare people, they're, they're trying to scare people into uh, back to Jesus. Is that what you guys would say it is? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> at, at the end of uh, the documentary, which you might want to bring up in a second, that you had a uh, watch called Hell House, uh, the very end of it, they boasted how they had brought 15,000 people back to Christ yeah. through the Hell House by scaring them back to Jesus. Yeah. So, so as, as Randy mentioned, there's a documentary. It's available on Netflix. It's just called Hell House, and it was made in 2001. Uh, I, I saw it several years ago and uh, became aware of this phenomenon when I was studying at IU. Um, but uh, so when I found out that there was one actually here in Bloomington, I thought, oh, I've got to go through this myself. And uh, so I went through it. And, you know, I, I, I've got to say my my uh, expectation going in, I was I, I thought I would be mocking a lot of what they were doing and um, – I, I didn't really, I didn't really have that sense of it. But, but so what I wanted to do was to share the experience with you guys and kind of walk you through a hell house and talk about, um, you know, what what's it like for a Mormon to go through hell house and and what what are the differences between the way that a Mormon would look at this and versus uh, Christian themes and and have a discussion along those lines. So that's really what we're going to be doing tonight, um, and. Um, We'll just start from the beginning because the, the, you know, when you walked into the the hell house, there's the the very first scene um, that that uh, I entered was a funeral, and they led us into a dark room, and there were actors. You know, these are people in the in the church who are 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 acting, and they were acting as mourners. And then you know, up at the front of the chapel, there's the coffin and somebody in the coffin, and then a preacher who's droning on about something, and they had us pick up this black rose as we walked in and we sat down in a pew and as soon as everybody was was seated there were about 15 or 20 of us touring together as a group and uh all of a sudden this demon jumps into the room who who was dressed up kind of like darth maul from uh phantom menace i guess (laughs) and he started explaining to us who this person was that we were um seeing in the coffin and he was a homosexual and he had died of AIDS. And the the demon told us, uh, we lied to him and told him that he was born gay. <laughs> you know, he's laughing. You know, this is so fantastically menacing. And he's going around, you know, this whole performance. And he went up to the, uh, the, the gay partner who was mourning and said, you're next. And I, I got to say, th- this was not the best way to start out uh, – the, the hell house for me. Were there any, did anyone like make any noises of expressing, uh, uh, you know, like discomfort or disapproval of such a, a message? No. Glenn? No, 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 no. Were silent? no, everybody, no, everyone was silent and just, just watching it. And, and the, the group that I went through with seemed to be on board with the message. Um, mm. You know, so, so they weren't tricked or anything. This isn't a new group of people who are like, "Hey, it's a haunted house. What the? What's going on here?" I thought I was just going to have a good time. No, they knew what they were going through. In fact, one there there was one um, couple that was a married couple that had their eleven or twelve year old son with them, 
and uh, he, uh, you know, the, the the rules of the Hell House were that you couldn't you couldn't be under eleven years old to go through. You, you had to be eleven or older. And, um, so they had this, this little kid with them and a couple of the scenes later on got kind of graphic. He was disturbed and they, they had to kind of take him aside and say, okay, these are just actors. They're just acting through it. This isn't real what you're seeing. But, but I could tell they, they were taking him through because they wanted him to see how real and graphic the world was, you know, and they Uh kind of wanted to, to scare him into righteousness thing, but yeah, well, so that was, was the first gay, message. He was gay and he got AIDS. It kind of serves him right, doesn't it? The, and, and the whole thing was that we lied to him and told him that he was born gay. That was what really stuck stuck out to me. So, so was it his fault then? Yeah. If it was us lying to him, I mean, maybe he's saved after all, right? No? Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was the demons that was doing it, the demons that were lying to him and making him think that uh, that he was gay. Well, in the documentary, uh, their gay guy wasn't in the casket yet. He was uh, in the hospital bed, uh, you know, just the moments before he died. And just before he died, he called out and accepted Jesus as a savior, and uh, and he was saved. Uh, and he got to go into heaven at the end of the hell house. So I, I know that that tic- I know that tickles Mike. <laughs> yeah, that's not gonna so, do it. It's not gonna do it. Just in general, or for gays, <laughs> he shouldn't have been in born general, that way, right? Deathbed repentance is no good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I guess you know, but before we move into the next room, I, I, if this were a, if this were a Mormon themed, you know, or, or a Mormon produced Hell House, would we have the same type of message where, you know, this is this is the role that a demon would play, that a demon would be whispering to people and saying lies, you know. You were born gay, but that's not the truth. But that's what we want you to think. Yeah, that's that's how, what he does. That's what that's what demons do. Yeah, they, you know they. You're saying that that Satan tempts males universally to try to make them feel like they're born gay, and then there's just that percentage not, of the not population universally. That I mean, into that everybody well, has their you know has well, everybody has their weaknesses. Oh, okay. So I, Satan knows our weaknesses and then hones in on that. Sure. Okay. So you don't you don't feel like this is inconsistent then? Well, in a Mormon hell house, you'd have Boyd K. Packer standing <laughs> over him on 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 one shoulder, saying, "Why would a loving God create you that way? Don't you know that a loving God wouldn't have created you that way? Probably, you had a choice, yeah, right?" And then, well, and then on the other it, on the other side of the bed, you have Marlon Jensen crying and showing the utmost empathy. Yeah, to be that's the, the the good cop for the church. So you got the bad cop and the good cop yeah. over the deathbed of the gay guy who chose to be that way and got AIDS. The, the LDS example I'm thinking of was Joseph Smith when they went to sell the uh, publishing rights of the Book of Mormon in Canada, and he learned from that experience that you know we've got our own opinions, the Holy Ghost and Satan's temptations, and they're all whispering. We have to learn how to recognize the Holy Ghost over our own opinions and Satan's influence. And so you do have the tempter and the and the teacher, and you have to choose between them. But uh, Mike, do you think there's anybody who has their own? Because you said that. So there are three parts to your formula: Holy Ghost, stuff that comes from from within, from yourself, and then and then Satan. 
Do you think there are people who, who Satan doesn't even have to work on because it's just from within that they're feeling these gay feelings? Or does he, uh, does he not leave out anyone? Does he go after everyone? I'm sure there's something he has to work on harder than others, but if that's what you're asking. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I, I remember hearing all those stories growing up about the, the the person who had clairvoyance into the spirit world, and they were able to see the the person who was being tailed by just one evil spirit, and compared to the person who had you know dozens of evil spirits around them, and you ask which one's the more wicked, and intuitively you would think that it was the person that had many evil spirits around them, right? But no, it's it's just the opposite because the it, it only takes one evil spirit to control you know, Randy, but it, it takes like 25 <laughs> to try and get Mike to even drink a Coke. Is that the screw tape letter you're referencing? No, I don't know what it is. But no, I'm no, not really that, I'm, that's, that's an actual, uh, Mormon, I, I'm sorry, Glenn, but folk doctrine. Yeah. That, that the Latter-day Saints are so special, uh, that they have like three on each ear. Uh, so Mike, you know, such a stalwart in, in, in a room of apostates, <laughs> it's got to have at least a baker's dozen in each year. You guys think too much of me, really. Yeah. Um, uh, there is the account of the Scottish missionaries in the early days of the church where they did have a vision of the demons that tempt us. Uh, I got that in the back room. I could dig it up if you want. But uh, he, he was assaulted and thrown about the room by an evil spirit. And he said, brethren, pray for me because they heard the ruckus and came in. And so they said a prayer, and he dropped to the ground, and they had an open vision of the the demons and devils that were there to stop their work, missionary work, and they could see them. Yeah. And uh, Was that a Heber C. Kimball? Was that who it was? Was it Heber C. Kimball? I'm so bad with names. I, yeah. But yeah, I think it might have been Heber C. Kimball and some other missionaries. They were in Scotland. I know that. Yeah, that sounds familiar. But they had an open might- vision. They could see them. Yeah. Hey Mike, you want you want to hear a family story of mine? That's even that's that's, that's pretty cool too. My, Are you uh, off track? It's a, well, it's a oh, demon ahead, story. Okay, yeah, so I mean, my mom was was very righteous, very um, and you know, very um, devout Mormon. And uh, and when my dad and her were just about to get married, um, a demon came into her room in the middle of the night, and she screamed. And my her brother, my uncle, came running down the hallway responding to the scream he tells the story like 40 years later uh he i mean he turned out to be uh worked work for the church uh very devout man he, the he, demon? he ran down the hallway. no my, my uncle uh. Uh, my mom's brother he ran down the hallway and the demon came out of my mom's room and knocked him over and he was a by the way he played uh, college football so he was uh you know he was a physical guy and he says you know i was in good shape and the demon knocked me down and then they searched the house and there was nobody in the house. All the doors were locked from the inside and they called the stake president who came to the house and blessed the house and, and exercised the demons. <laughs> so, so he threw her around and then knocked it, knocked your uh, uncle down? No, he, he showed up. He should just, he just showed up in the middle of the night and my mom woke up, saw a body or a, a man standing at the end of her bed. And when she screamed, he ran out of the room, knocked over my uncle and disappeared into the night. And uh, they assumed it was a it was a demon. And I asked my dad, "What do you think that was all about?" And he says, "Well, your mom and I were getting a little too hot and heavy making out, and I think that's what it was about." <laughs> what? Whoa. Really? Did you, did you just add it on that last part? Or is that true? That's no, that's true. 
That's what my that's what my dad's answer would be if you asked him right now. He's still alive. My mom's not, but he's still alive. A demon <laughs> is what was needed. The Holy Ghost couldn't handle that on his own. Well, I think what my dad's rationale is that they let their guard down. The Holy Ghost's protection had allowed. Oh, yeah. A and 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 you know, my mom was so righteous that you know the demon knew that she was going to raise a family of seven kids. And, uh, you know, all these things that make you feel really special as a Mormon what, play into this uh, mythology. What was your dad fantasizing as he was making out with your mom? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think we need to move on. Okay. Well, the next scene after the, the gay <laughs> funeral in Hell House was, the, was a, a, a KKK rally. And this was uh, very visually stunning because we, we walked outside and it's these guys in their white sheets with the pointed hats and crosses on fire and cars on fire. And they've got a guy that's bent over that they're whipping. And um, the the demon, you know, again says, you know, we lie to people to tell them that they're superior to others because of their race and because of the color of their skin. And then you see a guy, you know, pull out a pistol and, and blow somebody's head off. And, uh, you know, th this one, I, I didn't have quite as much of a problem with as I did with the, uh, with the, the, uh, the, the AIDS funeral, because I thought at least they're using the scare tactics in, in a place in the country, because, you know, this is a place where Martinsville, Indiana isn't too far from, from Bloomington, and it has a reputation for Ku Klux Klan still being, quite alive and well. So I thought it was is very interesting that they would tailor a scene for Ku Klux Klan to try and attack racism as you know, uh, was, Yeah, go ahead. When Mike. I was when I was looking up things on hell, hell for the podcast, the uh there's a Joseph Smith quote. He said the the sectarian world are going to hell by hundreds, by thousands and by millions. And that's uh Joseph Smith's quote in the history of the church. And you know sectarianism would be People that divide one group from another and say we're superior to you, whether it be religious beliefs, political beliefs. So he's right there with them on the uh, Ku Klux Klan. Well, I'm glad. Or, I'm or, glad we don't do that. I'm glad Brigham Young didn't do that. <laughs> so, was there any consequence, Glenn? So, so who got their head blown off for what reason? Well, it was whoever they, you know, the the. The black guy that the Ku Klux Klan had uh, were lynching. Oh, because uh, this is this is a little bit different than the documentary. This this type this one wasn't in the documentary, right? But most of what was in the documentary was, hey, don't do these things that coincide with what with the opposite of what Jesus would want you to do, right? Because if you if you do these things that are bad, there are immediate consequences, um, yeah. and so they oftentimes it's. It's a little bit of a stretch, but in this one, I'm, I guess I'm having a hard time understanding why I wouldn't be racist after seeing this, um, other than just feeling bad because, you know, if, if being racist means I'm killing people, I don't want to do that. But if I'm, but if I'm your like typical racist in the 21st century, uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand what my punishment is. Normally they, they would show you like in hell the next scene because of what you did or something. Well, yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're taking, they're, they're taking all of us on a journey to hell and they're showing you the things that'll get you there. And one of the things that'll get you there is your hatred towards other people because of, um, 
you know, racial differences or because of the difference in your skin color. And that's why the demon said, you know, we lie to people and tell them that they're superior because of the color of their skin. So they're, they're attacking racism. You know, and, and one of the things that I saw in the, in the documentary, and obviously you don't see this in, in a hell house as you're going through it, but in the documentary, you can see all of the, the preparation that they put into this production where they, they write the scripts and they practice the scripts and they decide, you know, they make these decisions, what scenes they're going to show, um, how they're going to depict it, who they're going to cast for it. Well, and, and with who they're going to cast, I thought it was really interesting that they didn't just go by acting skill. They went by devotion right. to the church right. and spirituality. Right. <laughs> so. Right. And, and, and so I, I thought it was interesting that they even did a KKK rally here, but um, yeah, it, it kind of, the KKK, uh, you know, waves the Christian banner very proudly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it, 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 it didn't quite erase what I had just walked out of, but it did make me feel not quite like, okay, this is all going to be awful. <laughs> now, the, the next the next scene that I walked into um, was a, a, a bedroom scene, and there was a, a father sitting in front of a computer. G- guess what he was looking at? Porn. Porn. Yeah. <laughs> looking at porn. And uh, a young teenage daughter sitting on the bed behind him. And why she was there and what was going on, I I don't quite understand. They didn't creepy. make that clear. Yeah, it was a little creepy. Why she would be in the room with him while he's looking at porn. <laughs> he's watching porn with his daughter in the room. Yeah. And and then the mother the mother came home and walked in uh, and you know caught him looking at porn with the daughter in the room. They take the daughter out of the room. The two of them start to fight. And all this time, the demon is egging both of them on and, you know, telling them what to say. And then they repeat what the demon says. And he, the, the husband, uh, or the, well, the wife tells the husband that she's going to leave him because she's had enough. And the husband very impassionately says, no, you can't leave me. And he throws her on the bed and he chokes the life out of her. Well, all the well, time, the, the daughter's in the other room. And and this was the scene when when the the twelve year old kid is you know turning away and his parents are like no you need to look at this but they're just actors but this is the this is the sort of thing that can uh, can really happen. So uh, what well, do you think, Mike? Do you think this would work with Mormons? Do you think we should do this for like a family home evening activity or something? Well, I know that uh, the, the, they've been harping on this in every uh, big meeting the church has had that. Uh, the porn thing needs to stop with the brethren in the church. And I know personally two guys I've grown up with that have got, you know, they had wives and four kids and they got divorced over, over things like this. So yeah, it's a very real not, problem. But that's not as effective as showing it. It's, it's one thing if it leads to divorce, which is, you know, arguably questionable. But if it led to murder of one spouse by the other, I mean. Yeah, gosh, that's a, that's, that's a bit of a stretch, but. It's a bit, it's a stretch there, but uh, the, the problem of pornography is, is very serious one. And and I think what what I found interesting about this, you know, because we we've talked about porn on Mormon Expression before, and it comes up on on blogs and other podcasts. Um, that it's not just a conservative Mormon thing, but that this Christian group is also, um, you know, they've got the same message out there. Um, I, I found that. Interesting. Even even with this stretch 
of <laughs> leading leading to murder and and uh you know bypassing divorce that was kind of a common well, theme uh, in the documentary and sounds like in the live thing for you too, Glenn. It seems like murder is kind of the – I don't know if that's just because it, you have to get to a, a, a end state where every, everyone in each of the skits is in hell and therefore each thing has to go one step further from the original consequence to murder. But it, it just seems like uh, – was there anybody who was just like – Come on, that's like five murders in a row. Can you just show us what really happens when something here happens? Yeah, no, no one was like that. Everyone, okay. everyone just—you mean it, people that were in the group with us—they were—they were very uh, quiet, and just watching, mm-hmm. just being led from room to room. You know, like you would yeah, in a haunted awesome. house, but but uh, you know these were these were scenes that were being acted out in front of you, so it was a little more elaborate than a than a haunted house would be. Right. Well, Bob, uh, they they have to have an end game with each scene because then you have to face your maker. Um, yeah, yeah. That's kind of the whole. That's kind of the whole point of everything. Not that you sinned and then seventy two years later you died and had to face it. So <laughs> everything kind of had to be explosive and 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 dramatic, and uh, you know, get them to the point where they uh, are facing heaven or hell and the ultimate consequences. Yeah, and I think that's just how storytelling has to work for it to really make the point that they want it to make. I mean, as improbable as all of these different connections are, it just wouldn't be as effective otherwise. I'm just thinking to the the documentary where they show a girl um, hit on at a party and then somehow something gets slipped into her drink and she drinks it and then she gets raped and then she has an abortion and then she has complications from that and then she commits suicide and then it's like, Wow! So don't go to parties. Yeah. <laughs> it's just slippery she didn't just slopes. Get raped. She got gang raped. Yeah, she got gang raped. She didn't even know how many people raped her. And I just kept thinking, like, this is um, highly, highly improbable. But if you were to actually, you know, use uh, data, research, uh, microeconomics it, as part of the skit, it just wouldn't be as effective because it would show that this is like less than one percent of you know anything that happens as a result of going to a party. Well, and the church is, I think the Mormon church is, you know, a little more sophisticated than this, you know, Trinity church or whatever church uh, uh, Glenn went to in Indiana. Uh, but they did, they did portray a very similar slippery slope pornography in a very slick, uh, I don't know, it was like a three or four minute uh, ad. You can, you could Google it online. Um, I think it, uh, Heather posted it on the, masturbation podcasts or the pornography podcast but it showed what happens when you the the you know the priesthood holder in the home first starts looking at pornography and then he doesn't want to look he doesn't want to play with his kids he doesn't want to hang out he doesn't want to be with his wife next thing you know the wife's kicked him out of the house and he's you know he's lost everything so they have they, they show it in a little more sophisticated more realistic way my question is well how much did the church play into the divorce <laughs> that's my question yeah, yeah, because they could have shown a video where they're like, "Hey, honey, come check it out with me," and then the both of them start getting it on in front of the computer because that happens yeah. probably more. But it happened to me just the other night. <laughs> yeah, it, it happened to your mom and dad, and a demon showed up in the room. <laughs> they didn't have porn back in 1960. Okay, all right, all right. Well, you know, let, let, let me let me speed up the Hell House thing um you mentioned abortion bob that there was a teen abortion um that there was also we walked past rooms where there were ouija boards and tarot cards 
Um, there were some uh, college kids that were getting high and just chatting in a dorm room. Um, these were things that we just walked past on the way to the abortion. Um, in, in the abortion, um, they, they mentioned that the, the baby was going to grow up to be a pastor. And uh, the, the, the demon also said, we lie and tell them that it's just tissue. And we say this is just a medical procedure. Um, instead of saying that it's what it actually is, which is murder, which was the message that they were getting across very graphically and with a lot of blood. Um, and then they made was there the blood point. in the, was there blood like around her crotch and on the, on the oh, bed? Oh, completely. Yeah. The, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it was awful. Yeah. It, no, it was totally, totally awful. And a lot of screaming and the, the doctor was just portrayed as so uncaring and unsympathetic, you know, just like, Oh, we better, we better um, anesthetize the next one. You know, just, boy, all this crying. Quit your crying. Quit your crying. You already made your choice. This is your choice. You know, they kept hammering the word choice. Um, you know, so they, they did that abortion. Um, there, was a, there was a scene with a drunk driver who had killed his wife and his daughter. And uh, the demon would then get up into the people's face that, that those of us that were walking around and, and invite us to go out and join him for a cold one. And, uh, <laughs> then did you take them up? No, no. And then we went, uh, the, the next room was hell and we saw all of the different people in hell. And it was a little silly really, because it, it just looked like costumes that you would find in a costume shop of, you know, furry demons and, you know, guys with horns and stuff. And, and the, the Lucifer was sitting on his throne, um, you know, with his goat legs and hoof feet. And then he, he walks up and he also points to people in the crowd and, and says, you know, I remember you. I saw the things that you thought you were doing uh, alone in private. But, you know, I was there and I was weaving this path for you. And now you're here and you'll be with me forever. And, you know, there's people moaning and crying in the background and, and, uh, you know, one, one woman in the group was laughing and they got up in her face, like to try and stop her from laughing. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't like that. She was laughing. Like, and it was kind of like, not so funny now, is it? Miss laughing person. You know? <laughs> Did it look like uh, the guy from legend? Oh, what's legend? That's not oh, that's Tom the, Cruise. Yeah. Who was the guy that put the devil in that? Uh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Yeah. No, great actor. Uh, you know what they really missed out on, uh, Glenn? They should have had the, the Mormon room. So they have a, a, a good, upstanding, <laughs> Jesus-loving Christian yeah. sitting down with two missionaries uh-huh. and accepting the Mormon gospel Ooh. and then getting hit by a truck, like, right after. Uh-huh. And and, the, and then the demon drags them to hell, and they scream, but they were so nice. They need you. They need you to come out and help them write that script for the next next. Uh, totally, years. it would be such a poignant uh, scene to to see how you know these really nice, charismatic missionaries uh, can trick you and lead you to damnation into uh, you know eternal torment for accepting their version. I don't. Of, I don't of, think there's a Christ. large enough Mormon population here to to warrant that scene. But <laughs> there might be other places. If there's a hell house in Utah, that would be a good one. Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. With, with that, that ministry down there that, that Heather has a contact with. <laughs> what is that? Andy Pollan? <laughs> I knew a guy in, that served in Oklahoma and 
they had a local uh, Christian college there, and the guys couldn't graduate until they testified to Mormon missionaries. So every so often, they'd be walking down the road, and a car would pull up, and like six guys would jump out and start Bible bashing with them. Then they'd get back in the car and leave. They earned that credit for that class. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> cool. So, Glenn, uh, what was the punchline? I, I want to see how your real-life version of the end of the Hell House was the same or different from the documentary. Well, do, do you want do you want to go out of hell or do you want to talk about hell for a little bit, Bob? Oh, okay. I guess we can talk. Let, yeah, let's talk about hell. So, uh, so you said that hell looked kind of silly when you saw it in, in real life. <laughs> That's not exactly how I said it, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, all I'm trying to say is, um, I think Mormons are very careful to portray hell. Like we don't, we don't like to. Um, we have it in our in our literature, in our scripture, and we, you know, the, both the Bible and the Book of Mormon, and then even in the temple, any reference of hell is more sophisticated and and sort of talked about abstractly. You don't actually get to pr- participate in in much of a demon like environment with fire shooting out of whatever. And so I, I just found that interesting as a difference between um, mainstream. I guess if this is mainstream or whatever flavor of Christianity this is in Mormonism, I don't know. Mike, would you agree? Do you do you think uh, Mormons steer clear of describing hell visually? Uh, yeah, our hell is a lot different than than others. We don't have the fiery torment. Uh, the, the fiery torment is people's conscience, not a literal fire. Wait, I thought really? that the Book of Mormon talks about lakes of brimstone and and fire. Unquenchable yeah, I, I fire. Think- I think we have it, Mike. I think it's just that we don't we don't like to depict it. We don't want to show what it what it would look like on, in a movie or anything. We just wouldn't know where to start. It's it, it our our version of hell is, is the Holy Ghost leaving you to yourself, and you don't have the light of Christ, and you're on your own. You know, you imagine that. Well, uh, no, but let's talk. Let's talk about let's talk about real Mormon. Let's talk about Mormon doctrine. And hell. What does hell mean to Mormons? I, I think of it. There's a couple of different flavors of it. There's before the resurrection. There's the there's spirit prison right. where people who die who are bad where they go, and they don't have a body. Well, it's just, uh, but that's just anybody who wasn't baptized. You don't have to be bad to go to spirit prison. Yeah, that's true. But it, it's also inclusive of bad people. But you're right. Also, decent folk that just didn't make it into the small population that is Mormonism while they were alive. Um, so they're waiting out. They're waiting out the millennium and and, uh, and the resurrection because everybody gets a body, um, except of course those who deny the Holy Ghost. So modern interpretation of that is those who have gone through the temple but then stop believing. Uh, they don't even get resurrected. But that's um, not that's not yet. That doesn't that that does, that outer darkness perdition thing no, no, doesn't happen that early, does it? That's like no, final it, judgment. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's final, final judgment. judgment. What I'm saying is they don't they don't get resurrected though. So when when final judgment comes, they don't even get like a yeah they do yeah they they're they're the ones that will be the only ones in outer darkness that will have bodies. From my understanding of Mormon doctrine, yeah, they get bodies. King gets a body. <laughs> yeah. So it's just the one third of the host of heaven. So so outer darkness is kind of this funky. Cain. Wait a minute. Why was Cain like the first person that came to your lips there, Mike? Cain. Well, we're going to call him election made sure for the outer darkness. Cain's like yeah, the poster the, the son, child the sons for of perdition. perdition. The sons of perdition. Yeah. Okay. Right. 
So the sons of perdition are made up of people who have, some have bodies and some don't, right? Because there's the third of the host of heaven that's there too, presumably. Yeah, the, that's, yeah. Okay. Mostly because even Satan himself doesn't have, will never get a body. Right. Uh, and and you, you're talking about one third of a hundred billion people. I mean, one half of a hundred, so like 50 billion people in there with no uh-huh. body. And according right. to Mormon doctrine, so few people can even qualify to be a son of perdition. What are you going to have, like, 12 people in there with a body? Are they going to run the Are they going to run the place, Mike? Or how does that work? They said they'll have power over Satan. So they'll, they'll uh, when all is said and done, they'll... Uh, be well, that doesn't better. sound so bad. I mean, that's... Well, they'll be like, like Jack Dixon at one floor of the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. It'll be like, it'll be like the Mormon expression crew telling Satan what to do, right? Because... And well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think because I've heard things like they say they're, they'll, despite the fact they have a body, they're still a slave to Satan. Oh, so uh, it's a two-way street. But but anyway, so there's Second uh, Nephi chapter two, something. About so it. so like we have to bring him his water. <laughs> I uh, we, have to, we have to pick his cotton. DNC right. 76, there's a little quote from it. They are they who are thrust down to hell. They are they who shall not be redeemed from the devil until the last resurrection and. Wait, that's a wrong quote. That's the other hell, yeah. So well, the, the, the problem with Mormon hell is since it can refer to three different things, it's confusing in Scripture. It's sort of like the same problem with... Wait, what are the three things again, Bob? So, so there's spirit prison, yeah. there's outer darkness after judgment, and yeah. then there's the celestial kingdom, which is a mixed bag, because you've got, you've got people like Joseph Smith who say, if you knew how great it was there, it's so much better than the earth today, you just want to die today and go there. But then you also have just the hell of anxiety and anguish for missing out on what you could have had if you had gone through the appropriate, you know, Mormon experience to get to the celestial kingdom. So the celestial kingdom in and of itself is a, is a form of hell because really? Yeah. yeah you, there, you get here's, uh, here's the quote. Mosiah chapter 2, verse 38. Therefore, if that man repenteth not and remaineth and dieth an enemy to God, the demands of divine just, justice do awaken his immortal soul to a lively sense of his own guilt, which doth cause him to shrink from the presence of the Lord, and doth fill his breast with guilt and pain and anguish, which is like an unquenchable fire, whose flame ascendeth up forever and ever. Yeah, but what does that have to do with the celestial kingdom? That's the well, anguish that you feel forever and ever uh, for a sense of your own guilt and pain and anguish. That's uh, it's kind of like a softening of uh, of the Christian hell. It's not an actual literal burning, unquenchable fire. It's 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 all inside your head. So why yeah. but why are you equating that to celestial? Why wouldn't somebody have that in the terrestrial kingdom? Or they would, they would if if they were, especially if they were like a Mormon that just didn't want to do their home teaching and pay their tithing. Yeah, or somebody who who made it to celestial kingdom by virtue of their parents sealing, but they didn't. They didn't get to the highest degree, you know, because they didn't do whatever they had to do. I mean, would yeah, they still yeah, have that suffering, guilt, and still yeah, still be in hell in the celestial kingdom? Possible. <laughs> Come on. Like, no, totally, seriously, yeah. Glenn, did you, not, uh, did you not grow up Mormon? I mean, if you don't get the very highest degree of the celestial kingdom, it's like, it's like you know, a an anal kid who who freaks out when he gets his first A minus. It's the worst because you, you sinned you know, sin against the greater light because you were Mormon and you didn't get the highest degree. You blew it. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Wow. Wow. Really? Yeah. You didn't have that much guilt. Then. That's a, that's sounds a that's like. a that sounds like a pessimistic view. I always took an optimistic view. 
you almost thought like, oh, if I just at least make it to the Tilatal Kingdom, I mean, that's better than this world. So that's not too bad, even if I can't have kids or sex or, you know, all the other stuff. <laughs> no, I, I, I was never pessimistic enough to think that I would get to the Telestial Kingdom. Well, of course. Okay, so there, there's the thing: is you, you actually thought you were a straight A student, and you would never, ever, ever mess up. And of course, you were going to the highest degree. And that's kind of 99% of Mormons in their peak spirituality state always assume that like the the terrestrial and celestial are for somebody, somebody in the ward. But we don't judge, don't point fingers. But 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 I but, but, but I pay my tithing. I do everything right, so I, I don't even need to analyze those lower, lesser degrees, right? But I also uh, I, I you know. If we're talking about me, I also assumed that those – that pretty much everybody would eventually end up at wherever they wanted to be, wherever they were happiest. You know, if – so if if that was at the highest degree of the celestial kingdom or wherever, I, you know, I, I always looked at the the degrees of glory as different degrees of happiness, you know, so that none of really? them were really a hell. Yeah. Wow, that's like almost – Unitarian or Universalist or something where you're just like, whatever makes you happy, I'm sure that, you know, whatever you decide and however you live out your life is best for you. Just don't hurt other people. Mormonism is not that way. You know you're missing out if you don't make it to the top. It's Nobody's shooting for the middle. I always looked at it as different degrees of responsibility. Uh, you know, you can be trusted this far. You can be trusted this far. You can be trusted this far. You know, each of the kingdoms you you have more responsibility and and things to accomplish because you've shown you're capable of being responsible of having a stewardship do you think anybody do you think anybody's living out like an honest mormon life that's like you know what i get all of this except for coffee but i'm okay with the terrestrial kingdom not a problem or they just you know <laughs> pick pick any one thing in mormonism that that might bug you and you just exclude that one but then you're like but i'm i'm a I'm a B average kind of guy. I'm T-Restal Kingdom's good for me. Like I, I don't, I don't think that personality exists. I think everyone assumes they're going to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, or, or that somebody, you know, if you don't go there, it's because you're sinning, you have a problem, an addiction, or you're not Mormon. Well, for for me, it it wasn't that I assumed that I was going one place or another. It was that I assumed that God was going to take care of it, and I I trusted Him, you know, and. And, and wow. I, you know, I, I trusted that he was good and just and merciful, and that if there was something that seemed like it was stupid and didn't make sense, then it was just because it was stupid and it didn't make sense, and I didn't have to worry about it. I mean, that—that's what I thought. I think well, the, the, the dark way- side of all of this is that the the most unhappy people, and I probably was one of those, although I'm trying to be honest, because uh, you know, you 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 color your memories with how things are going in your life now, but. The, the most unhappy people are those who probably secretly know that they're masturbating. They're they're uh, they hate their calling. They're they don't want to do home teaching, but they you know they know that they're not celestial. They're not living a celestial life. But I don't think they ever go. I'm cool with terrestrial. Right. Right. But but these people probably torture themselves privately, which I did myself. Which is probably one of the reasons why I was never really happy being a Mormon. Well, the, the way the kingdoms are described, go ahead, Mike. The, the celestial kingdom is just like it is here. Everybody's just they, they have the influ- they have the influence of the Holy Ghost, or they have consciences or light of Christ, as we, you know, sees intellectuals will call it their inner child or something. Uh, you know, they listen to that. The terrestrial kingdom, you're you're in the household of Christ. You're in the presence of Christ, 
and, but you're not a you're not like the father. The father is the celestial kingdom where you're entrusted with all the things that the father does. But if Sex. you're in the terrestrial kingdom, you're in the household of Christ, but you're like an angel. Yeah, that never really, you know, for, for me, that that never really made a lot of sense. I, I always understood, you know, the the way that celestial was equated with God and terrestrial was equated with Jesus and telestial was equated with the Holy Ghost. And, you know, it, it fits the three pattern really nicely. But what it, it exactly means I didn't know. And and I always held out hope that there was progression between kingdoms. And, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah. I liked it when people said, well, we don't really know. And I would go, yeah, well, I'm going to say that I really do know. And that, <laughs> and that you know, for, for eternity is a long time well, that it, you know, people can it, progress between kingdoms. Because that, that just makes the most sense to me. It's, it's kind of ironic, too, because Mormons kind of have this holier-than-thou attitude towards the heaven and hell paradigm. Because, you know, we look at Christianity being a part of it, you know, we think. And we say, oh, you guys don't, you don't understand. It's not just heaven and hell. You, I mean, that's not fair. God wouldn't just slot us into two categories. Instead, he has four. Imagine that. Yeah. It makes it all the more, like, yeah, and fair. And I thought there was six. Well, even better. Whatever the number is, it's 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 more than two. And My so father's we, house has many mansions. Six. We have we have Count the afterlife them. figured out, and nobody does. Nobody else does, except for when you ask any detailed questions, like, "Well, wait a second. What what is it really like there?" Then we all start getting confused and stumbling over, like, "Oh, is there kingdom hopping? Can you progress or can't you? Do you get sex in this one? And what's in the highest degree versus being an administering angel in the lower degree of the higher one?" And it's like all super what? confusing. Mike has an answer. Yeah, well, what are the vis- what are the visiting rights? You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can go visit down, but you can't visit up. There you go. Where's that? Where's that uh, written and set in stone? Well, it, what does it anyway. say that they can, they can have the visit of the Holy Ghost? <laughs> what, is that, what does Christ? that mean to visit? I mean, it's like you're you're going for Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, you're you're like loading everybody up in the car, and you're going, oh, "Come on, let's go visit them since they can't visit us." You know. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, in, in preparation for this podcast, I, I actually found a website where uh, I, it was Mormons and Christians debating about the doctrine of hell. And uh, it was really interesting to see the Christians saying, look, you Mormons, you just can't face up to the the, the, the brutal fact that you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And they're like, just because you come up, you've come up with a more comforting uh, description of, of an afterlife doesn't make it true. And I'm like, that's excellent critical thinking. Just because something's comforting doesn't have any bearing on its truth value. Now apply that same critical thinking skill to your own superstition. Yeah. Right. And uh, so it was really interesting to see them uh, duke it out back and forth about uh, about heaven and hell. And, and I remember and how, how the they all have their own verses to support their own positions very well. Right. I, I remember uh, on my mission. I was teaching a really, uh, I was, at least at the time, I was really happy because this family was really interested in the church. And I, and I whipped out like the, the, the little, um, cut out cartoon things where you do the diagram that you can do on a kitchen table. You're like, here's the, you know, spirit prison and here's where you go here. And it's kind of a, here's where we were before this life and blah, blah, blah. And then I, we get to the end and we have these little cartoon cutouts for the three degrees of glory. And one's like a castle to represent 
the, the celestial kingdom. And then there's like a kind of a nice looking mansion house, which is right. the middle terrestrial. And then there's like a tent in the desert, which is the <laughs> celestial. And when, and when I asked the investigator, where, where would you want to go? I mean, after we talked through all this stuff, she pointed to the middle one and I'm like, what? No, why, why would you, why not the, and she's like, have you ever been in a castle? It's cold and drafty and it's a lot of upkeep and work. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want my own castle. That's just too much work. And it, it just got me to thinking like, I don't, I remember thinking did as a you, missionary. Did you explain to her that she would have servants? I, you know, I actually talked a little bit about administering angels and tried to, you know, retrofit. Oh, you're kidding. Things. Well, what am I supposed to do? I'm a missionary. I just think back to it now, and I'm like, man, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was talking about. Just like none of us knew about the afterlife. Air conditioning, man. Come on. Uh, oh, that's funny. Yep. So, so look, the, the you know, so there's there's this this point in Hell House where I'm standing in Hell. Lucifer stands up. He addresses the the group that's that's going through. Points his finger at some, and you know what it made me think of. It it made me think of our own, you know, I can't say our own hell house because I'm thinking of the temple. But it made me think of the temple ritual, which is kind of similar, you know, especially ones that, that were live where people would actually go room to room to room and see things acted out in front of them, different depictions, and sometimes in ways that would try to scare them into behaving better for an afterlife um when when the devil would say you know you're in my power now and if you don't live up to every covenant that you make here you're going to be in my power it's very similar to what this this lucifer said um in the 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 hell house and um it made me think back to um just what what a, a rite of passage the uh the, the temple ceremony is is for us. And well, it's a great teaching tool. I mean, you know, that's what they use for Joseph Smith, and that's what they use for Moses. You're showing this, you're showing that. Abraham went through that. That's a great teaching tool. What is? Well, before scare tactics. No, you're showing hell. You're showing the degrees. You're showing the variations, and that that's yeah, how God taught Moses and Abraham and Joseph Smith. But in the temple, Glenn's talking about is is the scene where he's like, uh, if you don't live up to every covenant in, made in this house. On this day, you will be in my power. And, uh, and, and before 1990, the scare tactics were even more graphic. You'd have to cut out your bowels and cut out your heart and slit your own throat. Well, that's just if you, that, that was if you revealed the things that were going on in there. But, but I, I think, I, I think, you know, we, we still have the phrase philosophies of men mingled with scripture. Um, but if, if I'm not mistaken, that phrase used to be connected to, Lucifer and uh, a pastor, like a, a a Christian minister, a false teacher. Who, I think who, he even had a caller, <laughs> right? Yeah, like like a, a a caller who they conspired to to lead people astray, and that was one of the changes that was taken out in in 1990. Um, that uh, you know, I, again, if if Hell House did have this Mormon room, like you suggested, Randy. Um, they would just be responding to something that the Mormons had been doing for, you know, a hundred years or so prior. In secret. Yeah, just in secret. Yeah. And not bringing people in to see it. Yeah. It's, it's sacred, not secret. Right. Right. And, and so, you know, and, and just like in the temple, after, after you, you have this, uh, experience 
seeing Satan and, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of what you're doing is, is shoring yourself up against, uh, having to go to hell. I mean, you're learning all these things that are going to help you get to heaven, right? Then, then you go through, um, the veil and get into the celestial room. And that's, that's what happened in the, uh, the hell house. So we're, we're there in hell and, uh, amongst all this wailing and gnashing of teeth and an angel comes in and says, here, come into this room and escorts us in and there's this bright light. And, you know, of course they don't call it a celestial room, but that's, that's what it would have been. Um, because there's Jesus on a cross or I don't, maybe that would be a terrestrial room. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but, but, um, so there's, there's Jesus on the, on the, the cross and, uh, he's got angels all around him. They're all, in the, the worshiping him, and uh, one of the angels explains that the scenes that we just saw were things that can be avoided, um, but they're also all sins that can be swallowed up by the the love of Christ. If 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 those of us will just accept Christ into our lives, and then Jesus comes off the cross, and I got to tell you, this guy who played Jesus in this Indiana church I went to, he he looked like Jesus. He was a dang good-looking Jesus. He had these beseeching eyes. Did you get lost in his eyes, Glenn? I couldn't. I couldn't look at him. Well, maybe he was the real Jesus. You were seeing the real Jesus and the fake Jesus. His name is Kevin. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he, <laughs> I don't think I could worship a Kevin. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, but I mean, he played the part so well. You know, I mean, he looked. He looked loving, and you know, the the thing is, I. I I didn't hate being in that room. I liked it. I, I, and I was looking around at the, uh, at the other people that were, were looking at him. Um, you know, a lot of them had tears in their eyes. I thought, I thought the message was a nice message. It was a good message. And, you know, they had to bow down their heads and say the prayer to accept Christ. And then one woman stepped out of our group and approached Jesus and, uh, you know, embraced him and, and he embraced her. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of, you know, like the spirit moved her. And I found out afterwards that she was a plant, that, that they, they have one person go through every group to, to come up at the end, just as a way to break the ice so that anybody who wants to approach Jesus and kind of, you know, confess that they'll feel safe to do that because somebody has already broken the ice to do it. But, um, you know, so that was, that was the experience with Hell House. It was in the documentary, uh, they, they get to the end after Jesus, after going to heaven, those go to heaven, going to hell. They go into a room and it's not, they're not acting anymore. And they have this guy come in and say, this is the most important part of the, right. of the, of the, of the experience. Yeah. Um, you can walk through that door over there. Right. And people will be there to pray for you uh-huh. so you can accept Jesus or you can just stay here and then we'll let you go. And it was like, like the most blatant peer pressure tactic. Right. He even counted down five, four. Now, if you don't go in here, you know, what are you saying? You know, do you, it, it just, the, the, the total awkward peer pressure. I wouldn't be surprised if they had some plants yeah. in the group that would, that would lead the way to go into the room to pray. Right. Did they have that in the Indiana one? No. And, and, and I was, you know, because I had seen that documentary before going through, I was anticipating it. Um, but no, they didn't have anything like that. It, it was actually very cool. I, I thought, I thought it was, it, it was cool the way that they did it. Um, they did have a room where people could, could go afterwards if they wanted to, but it was just one that you walked by after you already exited out 
and um, hardly anybody went in at all. Was there a, a gift of tongues spiel going on? Because in the documentary, they start praying, and they do the whole like, Sula, sukta, tutota, ta, ta, and they like make up their own language and comfort each other. And it sounds vaguely offensive because it's like making fun of a like your Asian language practically, but it's the gift of tongues. And, uh, um, yeah, I guess that, that means that you're, you're coming closer to Christ. So I just wanted to know, uh, Glenn, if you just spoke in Japanese and fit right in or, or if that wasn't a part of your experience. I, I'm really not permitted to talk about that. Oh, okay. No, I'm kidding. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Too sacred. laughs> no, the, yeah, there, no, there was, there was nothing. No, no speaking in tongues. I actually thought the most entertaining part of the documentary was the speaking in tongues section where yeah. they would, uh, they would shout out in gibberish, uh, obvious gibberish. Yeah. I think there was, there was one lady who was like, la, 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 la. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> embarrassing, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that I mean that was the experience with Hell House. It, it also reminded me of um, an experience that I had when I was probably sixteen or seventeen years old. Our um, young women's young men group for a Wednesday night activity. Um, we were we were invited to a luau and told to wear Hawaiian shirts to the church, and we were we were all mailed these tickets, like plane tickets, like we were going to be going to Hawaii. And so we, we went to the church and we were met there and they escorted us into the, uh, the cultural hall and, and, uh, put us on the stage. And this, this, the stage had been decorated to look like, a you know, the inside of an airplane. And so we all took our seats, you know, we had our seat numbers and they had the pilot come over and, you know, announce what we were doing and the flight attendant come and give us a drink, you know, with a little umbrella in it because we were going to Hawaii. And uh, then mid-flight, um, the the pilot came over and told us there was some turbulence and there was a problem and we crashed and we all died. And then uh, uh, an angel came in to escort our departed spirits. We were told that, you know, we, we were all now departed spirits and um, took us through the afterlife. And, uh, you know, so we went through, you know, what you were talking about, Bob, with, with the hell, uh, the, the spirit prison. And we went through paradise. And then we went through the degrees of glory, starting with the celestial and then the terrestrial and then ending with the celestial kingdom. And I, I wish... I wish I remembered the details of this experience. I, I, I just remember like it. I remember in the telestial room, the guys that were in there were playing electric guitar. And <laughs> I, I remember that the like cool play. Yeah, I know. And I remember that the, uh, um, celestial room was in the release society room and that everybody was wearing like their temple whites or, you know, like what, what baptismal you would baptismal, white. baptismal whites, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, you know, that, that Mormon smile that when people are really proud of you, that you've made it to the celestial room of the temple, you know, what I'm talking about that Mormon <laughs> smile, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like the, the, it's the most ultimate proud moment for, you, you know, and just, you're like, you've made it your home kind of thing. And, uh, you know, so and, and Mike, you said that you you did something similar when you were on your mission. Yeah, we did the same thing. We 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 had the different kingdoms. I was trying. 
I don't remember it all that well because I think I worked in one of the kingdoms as one of the people that was in there when you got there. I didn't get to go through the whole experience, but yeah, we did that skit to uh, show people what it was like. So it, it was the ward that you were in, and and as a missionary, you were helping out with it. Right, right. Uh-huh. That's what we did. So I, I think it, I probably I think oh, maybe I wore my baptismal whites or something. Maybe that was. It's hard to remember it so long ago. Yeah, but yeah, we it, did that it's, skit. It sounds uh, it sounds a lot better than the Hell House version. Kind of the glass is half full instead of half empty, like what you were saying before, Glenn. It, it, it doesn't seem like either of you are alluding to you know anybody dressed up as a devil or or any depiction of outer darkness or the even the Telestial Kingdom didn't sound like you you were caught in this anguish state of how could have I been so dumb I I, I didn't make it to the Celestial Kingdom. Instead, you're rocking out on guitars. Well, um, <laughs> well, I mean, I, that's why I, I wish, I wish I had more vivid memories of it because it wasn't, you know, what, what I do remember, it, it certainly wasn't a demon who was touring us through the afterlife. It was an angel. So y- you had that more positive spin on it, but, right. but there wasn't any kind of romanticizing of the celestial or the terrestrial kingdom. It was, it was all, you know, what, what what Randy was talking about earlier that these aren't places that you really want to end up. Right. Um, Right. You know, yeah. An electric guitar might be cool, but it's also, you know, drug, sex and rock and roll, all, all of these things that will lead you to a place where you won't have the fullness of, of happiness. You know, yeah, you that, won't get that same self-satisfied smile in the tea they, they they weren't as proud of of you when you walked into those rooms as they were when you walked into the one that was really brightly lit. Yeah. Well, there, there's a good thing about Mormonism is you do have that universalist touch to things that everyone, pretty much everyone, receives a salvation. But like it says in the Articles of Faith, you receive it according to the oaths and covenants you keep. So. You know, people in the Telestial Kingdom, because they agreed to come and they sided with Christ in the preexistence, they get that Holy Ghost. And so they have that in the Telestial Kingdom. But, but if that, you kept the covenants, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Mike, doesn't that cut both ways? Doesn't that sort of dampen any sort of sense of urgency for Mormons to convert the whole world? Because if it truly is this this softening view of heaven and hell and everybody gets a degree of glory because everybody's resurrected and everybody gets some sort of level of of satisfaction based on where they are anyway, uh, rather than the the typical Christian message of like, oh my gosh, we have to convert the world because they're all going to burn in hell otherwise. It it means it's kind of ironic because Mormons do a lot of missionary work, but it's it's for what to to get into a better state, I guess. But it just it sort of dampens the effectiveness of needing to convert to Mormonism if you're going to end up in a decent place anyway. Well, what like, do you encourage? It's like trying to get them into a five-star hotel instead of a four-star. <laughs> right. Well, it's like being born in America. You're never going to lose because you can always go on welfare. But you want your kids to graduate high school. You want your kids to graduate college. You want your kids to get married and have a family. But they don't have to because be, you know, you'll be have some kind of happiness because you can be on welfare and you'll be fed every day and get some clothes. and it's, it's, it's that same mentality. You want them to succeed. You want them to establish a family of their own and, and be able to help others. And you, you can't help others if you're on the bottom of the pack. You, you Mike, to, I, think, I think you need to meet more people that had to put water in their cereal and have man-made <laughs> sandwiches to, before you just start painting with a broad brush and say, oh, these welfare people, they have it fine. Yeah. Wow. I'm not, I'm not, 
they're not I'm dying. Not they're, <laughs> they're not unclothed. You know, they're not living in the street. But you know, <laughs> some are. Uh, some had to, to run from sexual molesters in group homes. And my point, my point is, <laughs> I'm my sorry, point is, I'm, you want welfare, broad brush. <laughs> you want people to be able to succeed and stand on their own, and and that's ultimately what the gospel is. Heavenly Father wants you to have everything He has, and not just as as under Him as as serving Him, but He wants you to be. He wants to be able to walk away, and you're standing on your own without any assistance from him. Do you think it matters to, to Heavenly Father, Mike? Or do you think, like, you know, he, he knows he's going to get a lot of people in, in the telestial and terrestrial, especially at the rate that we're converting Mormons and having them be active and go through the temple. That's going to be like a pretty small minority at the at the top and the highest degree. Do you think that, that that's kind of worrisome for him? Or since since everybody's serving him in one fashion or another, he's he's probably good either way. Well, it's like a parent. How long do you want your kid living in your basement? You, do you want your forty-two-year-old son down in the basement smoking a doobie? And you why, know, why? Why is that like a kid living in your basement when we're talking about God? Why is that the same? Because he's our father. He's our parent. But why is where we live? Nobody like wants his to be basement? forty-two-year-olds. Nobody wants to be forty-two-year-olds living with their mom, and and dependent on their parents. My point is, is if you have. You know, say a hundred billion forty-two-year-olds living with you in your basement, and and you're their parent, versus like ninety billion instead. Is it really like, eh? And what's the difference? You're going to have hundreds of billions of forty-two-year-old people living in your basement if you're God, right? <laughs> oh, you you get my point though. No. Yeah, I I think so. Sure. We want to talk about uh, the little mini. Uh, more, uh, Mormon hell houses that we have in everyday Mormon life. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to hear what you mean by that. <laughs> like, um, like scare tactics. Scare tactics. Yeah. Scare tactics. Yeah, there's scare tactics in Mormonism. I mean, one of them is is holding your family hostage. That's the biggest one. Um, I know I have too many close friends that have lost their families because they um, chose to follow their conscience and and not pretend to believe anymore and their wives left them. Uh, so th- there is this whole eternal family gets destroyed scare tactic. That's just pervasive in the Mormon experience. I mean, am I, am I overstating it here? Well, you, no. you're maybe overstate. You break it down a little bit. How, how is it like a hell house? How is it, how is it a scare tactic? You, do you want to lose your family? I mean, how? I mean, how do you lose your family? How is the church forever. propagating this? Well, if you don't believe anymore, you're not worried about losing your family necessarily forever. But it, it sure is important. I mean, I, you know, I have a three and a five and a fourteen year old, and I don't want to have joint custody with them. And uh, and if you know, if if you do not. I mean, there, there are a lot of people, spouses, I, I'm not just going to say wives. Uh, there's, there's husbands that do the same thing to their wives that don't believe. But if, you know, they basically hold the family, you know, if you don't believe anymore, you're going to lose me and you're going to lose the kids. And I don't even know if I want them. To, I, I even have a friend who's one of the kids won't talk to him at all because she's a, she was a fully indoctrinated teenager and is afraid of his influence. Um, and and right. you don't think the church feeds into that? No, I think it does because it, it can't even talk to his daughter. Yeah, I'm yeah, just trying to. That's a 
that's a biological relationship which which has no meaning anymore if you get divorced and and uh mommy or daddy marries somebody else and then you do all the ceilings and everything sort of gets transferred over in an eternal sense then the the family circle is complete and it's and it, the the chain is linked back together without you in it and so what purpose do you have you might believe not being a believer that you know in this life this is all you have all the more reason you want to spend time with your daughter or son but they believe exactly the opposite you're you're like practically dead to them because you're outside of the the ecosystem that is the eternal family right okay so cre- so create a, exactly. a room in hell house for me that that has this fear and this scare tactic at 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 the crux of it what 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 does this room it's- look like as as i'm walking through hell house and i'm seeing this you know, the, the demon is pointing this out to me. I mean, what does this look like? Well, I think this speaks to Randy's point earlier about how Mormonism does things in a more sophisticated, nuanced sort of way. I mean, this is something that would be hard to make a skit out of because... No, it wouldn't. It, so I could do it. The guy sitting at the computer, instead of looking at porn, he's, he's what? Looking at Mormon Expression blog? <laughs> website? Listening well, how, to podcasts? Reading, reading Rough Stone Rolling? How about you do it like this? You are a father, and you got this loving family, and you're so happy. And then you, uh, they somehow portray you leaving the fold. The family then goes into another room, and another man comes in, and he gets to raise your family. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> Suck <Yes>. it, Popgate. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you were close. Yeah. Mike, okay. did we lose you, or, or do you want to no, sit I'm, this one out? Uh, just, it just hurts because I know somebody I care about this is happening to right now, and it's it's horrible and awful, and and but it's you know for for someone who believes in the church and has a testimony, it, it's it's very much reality that they they really are losing their family. How do you think the 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 church could help bridge that gap? Do you think you know? It's just uh, somebody's fault, and it's that person who who's having doubts. They just need to um, uh, ship up, ship. What's the phrase? You know, get better. <laughs> I, maybe uh, have a series of firesides on how to recognize the Holy Ghost, how to distinguish between Holy Ghost and emotion, and, and really uh, help people to gain a, a real testimony, not based on an argument, but based on experience. That's the only. That's the only, that's the only thing that's going to help. It is if people. Or have a have a solid foundation to base a testimony on, and not just an argument. What about what about a doctrine that just said that even though the divorced parent is divorced, he's still going to have visiting rights in heaven? Just some, just like throwing them a bone. He won't. Well, why not? Why, we've changed doctrines before. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> okay, that's well, just an idea. Uh, it's it's uh yeah, you're you're breaking that link, you're breaking that chain. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that Glenn laughing or is that Bob? I no, that's know. Glenn. Yeah. I have I have some other uh, scare tactics. Do you guys have any, or I don't? No, go I'm, for I'm, it. Okay. So in the uh, someone brought this up on the boards recently, but um, in, in Mike, you're the scriptorian. <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've kind of uh, lost that which I had because I've sinned against the greater light. But uh, in, in First Nephi, it says something about a book of life where all of our deeds are recorded. It's in Lehi's, <laughs> Lehi's vision, right? Uh, is that right? And, the first? Uh, 
Yeah, it's like in First Nephi. I think it's the vision where he's supposed to leave Jerusalem, and he sees the twelve apostles, and there's the Book of Life, and everything's recorded. Well, yeah, you know, I grew. I'm an, I'm a child a child of the '80s, and uh, VCRs were big. And someone brought this up on the board, so I want to give them credit for me even thinking about this. But I do remember being taught that that our, was me. That <laughs> it was you. Okay. So yeah. When we we stand before God to be judged. They're going to have like a VCR and a TV and they're going to show us masturbating or whatever. And they don't say that, but they say you know, all the, all the things that you did that were wrong are going to be played before you. And, uh, and I think that's an, that's another really scare tactic that I, I dealt with as a, as a believer. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be like that or if it's just going to be, uh, played out for ourselves. I, I think, you know, when you get, when you get a, your, all your memories back of how you lived your life, if, you know, you'll pretty much judge yourself. There's a great movie called uh, Defending Your Life with Al Brooks. Have you seen it? Uh, I've seen no. clips from it. They, they no. do this, where he where he has to stand up in front of his life, and they show it's it's like it's kind of like a courtroom scene, and he's on trial as to as to whether or not he's going to be able to move on, or if he's kind of failed and he has to go back and live again. But anyway, it is, is a really scare good tactic. The, the scare tactic that someday your secrets will be made known to other people. Is that the scare tactic? Yeah, like you're going to be a whole room full of people watching yeah. you do these uh, embarrassing sins. Okay. Yeah. All right, I have another one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're, kill, you're killing me, Randy. <laughs> All right, someone else. I have another. It's a good one, though. All right. But, um, okay. So we had there's a motivational speaker a Mormon motivational speaker named Don Black. Um, he he's actually had some stuff, uh, some of his talks recorded in Sullivan Desert book. Um, but his sister was in my ward when I was growing up in in Southern California, and so we had him out like for every youth conference. And so he told this story about this. Um, uh, he's a very charismatic speaker, so he always had everyone's attention as a youth. Um, but there's this, he talked, told the story about this, this Laurel who was up to this point in her life was just a stalwart, upstanding, beautiful, young Mormon girl. And then one night she let her guard down and she had sex with her boyfriend. And as she was driving home, her car lost control. It flipped over and she died in her sin. And the point of this message was you kids don't know when you're going to die. So don't you dare sin. Because, you know, this could be your last day, and you don't want to do any major sins if this is your last day. I mean, that is a mind fudge for a teenager. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Now I've got to go through and edit. I've got to pull out, like, a a little beep sound. I hate it's when I have to before. do that. I know, but I don't have the beep sound. i got to download it. Are you cool with that, Mike? Are you cool with that message? <laughs> I think he Part wanted you to say uh, mind fudge. Uh, <laughs> part of me was really struggling with it because it just didn't seem fair because she wasn't given any time to repent. And that didn't seem fair because I knew guys who had had sex, went on their mission, but they you know had time to repent. Why wasn't she given any time to repent? How is that fair? Oh, come on, Randy. Well, I'm talk- I'm a teenager, dude. <laughs> These are the thoughts that are going through my head. It's not up to God to give her time to repent or not. It's up to him to give her the rules, and it's up to her to obey them. She didn't. Her time had come. End of story. 
Yeah, but I think what Randy's saying is it, it feels like there's some dice rolling going on here because the same rules dictate that if you just live six months longer and you have a stake president who, you know, lets you repent faster. She had sex. This, yeah, so do she lots should. of other teenage Mormons, and they get away with it, and three weeks later they're home free. That's the point. And that's not, and that's not fair. Hey, well, so if, look, Jesus made the deal with one laborer in the field and made a deal with another laborer in the field, and, you know... Don't complain about the deal that he made with you. <laughs> I want to hear Mike. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Go ahead, is Mike. That, is he cool with that message? Would yes, you say that? Would you give that message? Would you give that message to your daughter? Yes, I would. Good lord! I, I don't. I don't have a problem with that. No. no. You, why why are you guys acting surprised? <laughs> have you not been listening to Mike for like two years? <laughs> there's scriptures that say similar things you know you don't know the day of your repentance or you don't know the day of your judgment um, I don't remember how the phrase but there's, sim- there's similar scriptures that have the same message that just aren't played out in a story mode like that they just yeah, say there, there's never like a scripture that's like and statistically speaking you have a chance of getting you know out of this home free off on a whim and uh, you can sin all you want and uh you know, just the way the rules work out, there's going to be these. No, no, uh, no, cases. no, 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 no. It, it doesn't work. <sighs> it doesn't. Okay. So, so, so the guy who okay. has the six months after to live isn't isn't luckier. It's actually no, on purpose. No, it, you're judged according to the degree you've allowed the Holy Ghost to come into you. And so, when the day of judgment comes, when you're resurrected, you're going to be able to look at your resurrected body and know what kingdom you're going to. It's going to be the one you, you know, the Holy Ghost has an effect on your resurrection. But Mike, it, it, here's here's the question: Is the ability to repent arbitrarily tied to how long you're on this earth, or not? If it isn't, then it's not a big deal because the girl who got killed, she can repent when she gets to the spirit prison or, or world wherever she ends up, and she's good. But if there is a Mormon doctrine, which I think most of us would agree that there is, that there's some magic about needing to repent before you leave this earth, then there's something arbitrary about it, and it's just going to be unfair. And God's rules don't really work out for everyone equally. <laughs> the- Something to do with it's, uh, as a spirit, it's harder to repent, is, is the way I understand it. I don't know if it has something to do with the way time operates and as a spirit or, or what, but it's, it's harder to repent as a spirit than it is when you have a body. Is it harder, is, okay. is it harder to sin as a spirit? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's I'll, something in quantum theory that could, that could explain that. I'll buy Mike's argument. I I, I can see that. How do you explain the one-third hosts of heaven, including Lucifer, who who sinned and fell? I've been trying to figure out what Satan's argument was. That's something I've been working on. And and Mike, they didn't even have a veil. (laughs) He was right Right. in the room with them. He was right there in the room with them. I've been trying to figure out what the argument was. So why why do we need a veil, Mike? So that we can operate as an individual, and you're not you're not working off of God's uh, looking over your shoulder. You're you're pretty Wait. much on your own. And how are you going to live without God's influence? But but here here's the question, Mike. Why is the first decision, which is arguably the most important one, whether or not you get a body, okay to be done in front of God's presence with everything laid out in front of you on the table, versus the second phase, which has to be with that veil? It it seems to me that. Logically, which I know is a bad word to use, you'd choose one way or the other to execute this plan if you were God. You don't say, this 
this decision you need to make, you can make it in front of me. Whereas this one, there's this veil and you vaguely only know something that somebody else wrote a long time ago as to whether or not I'm involved in it. Well, it's kind of like you chose to have a job, but we're going to see what kind of job it, how do I, how do I phrase it? Now this is our aptitude test. Does that make sense? You've taken the job, but now you're going to have a job aptitude test to see what part of this you're going to be you're going to be able to handle. And you need to be blindfolded for the aptitude test. Well, you just have to. He's going to watch and see how you do on your own to see if you're a responsible individual. Okay. Left to your own left to your own devices. Can you be responsible? Can I? How, well, how much trust can I place in you if I leave you on your own? But you're not really on your own because you got the Holy Ghost. Um, yeah, who speaks, but, who speaks but look in at muddled, everybody. Hushed, <laughs> uh, convoluted tones. Uh, it's not that difficult. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that? Was that? Oh, it's not that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I don't know. I don't understand why some people have so many problems with that. I really don't. Listening to the Holy Ghost. Because, like, when I watched Gladiator, I don't know, you know, if that sad scene at the end where he gets to go to heaven and see his wife. I don't know if that's the Holy Ghost or just good movie production. That's my problem. <laughs> People have a problem with it, Mike, because it's unreliable epistemology. That's why. There you go. If you, in my opinion, if you're if you're doing the basics, it's not that difficult to interpret. What if you're doing more than the basics? Is it like super easy then? Mike, what if you have two people who are doing the basics perfectly and they both get uh, uh, what the Holy Ghost is telling them and it's giving them completely mutually exclusive messages? Mm. <laughs> but the, but, I, I, but they are both perfectly righteous in every way and they're getting conflicting messages from the Holy Ghost. <laughs> what, I don't know. what do you do with that? Uh, I don't know. There's so many variables in that. There, there's there's no way that you can say, oh well, the one person's sinning, and that's why he's getting a conflicting message. There's no external test to apply uh, to 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 determine who's right and who's wrong. I think Mike's answer, if I can put words in his mouth, is you just assume that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure there's, I mean, you know, one's looking at porn and one's not, or, or maybe, maybe God's testing them to see if they'll be obedient in spite of the obvious contradiction. Well, we have examples of this. I mean, we, you have the whole Adam God thing that went down. I mean, that's apostles and prophets and they got to discussing it and disagreed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's a pull, but I, I just don't find it that complicated. Because you're saying basically some apostles were uh, listening to the Spirit, but they were confused. It wasn't really the Spirit because the Spirit was actually would have said that Adam God is not correct. So you've got you're saying you've got cases where you have prophets and apostles. No, Mike's saying no. Mike is saying that the Spirit told them that it was correct, but that it wasn't really. No, oh. I think I think you're you're more right. It, it, it's the Joseph Smith case where he thought he should sell it in Canada, but it was really his own voice or an evil prompting, and he didn't recognize it. And I, I think prophets and apostles are just men, and, and they can screw up, but they're the best we have for the job. Sort of so, like sort of like when conference talks are given, like Boyd K. Packers, and then changed when they're printed, because it's like, eh, kind of screwed up on the first version. Oh, no, that's when you have correlated sissies. 
<laughs> okay, so this is how unreliable it is, Mike. You have God's one and only true quorum of 12 apostles and prophet and first presidency, who the spirit is so incompetent, it can't portray the very nature of God himself correctly. <laughs> that is why it is unreliable epistemology. Case closed. I have, I have a theory. I have a theory on his Adam God doctrine. And there's a, there's a scene where Abraham's shown heaven and he sees Adam sitting upon a throne watching the children of the earth. And I think maybe he just misinterpreted his vision and thought that Adam was God because that's what he saw. What? When actually, what? What? What are you describing, Mike? Abraham had a vision where he's taken into heaven. Where he sees. Wait, wait. Where is this vision recorded? That doesn't matter. Uh, you have little faith. Come on, let him finish. No, I'm not. <laughs> where, 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 where is this vision it's, recorded? It's an apocryphal. It's an apocryphal work. It's. Uh, I think. I think it's that one. Uh, me and you talked about before the uh, yeah, apocalypse of Abraham. Uh huh. You, you know the Mike. scene I'm talking. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the spirit, the spirits whispered to Mike that it's true. So just back off. But Mike. you know the scene I'm talking about where Adam's upset over the children sinning, and, and he's, he's taken in, and he's taken up into the sun. Is this the one that you're uh, thinking of? The apocalypse of the apocalypse of Abraham. That might be the same one. Okay, it's been a couple of years since I read it. But anyway, he sees Adam sitting on a throne, and maybe Brigham had the same vision and misinterpreted it. Well, Nibley certainly read the same thing and misinterpreted it when he was reporting on it. <laughs> <laughs> Your friend and mine, Nibley. Yeah. <laughs> You know that 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 document that you're talking about, Mike, was written about 400 uh, A.D. So, okay, yeah. Was it pseudepigrapha? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was, and it was describing the the scenes of the of the destruction of Jerusalem and the. I mean, it, it, it's an interesting document, but to to to. Make the stretches that Mike makes it with it. Uh, it's fantastic. I said it was a theory on my part. No, I like it. I, 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 I yeah. like it. So. Well, you got to come up with something. Otherwise, Adam God sort of is a big yeah. stick in the side of Mormonism. Yeah. Yeah. We are completely derailed. So, yep. Yep. Um, any, any final words on uh, Hell House in Mormonism uh, or anything at all Halloween related? <laughs> <laughs> I like well, it. I thought I think they're good. You think what's good? Why? They're good. <laughs> what? After all that, he loves the gay guy dying in the beginning. I think that's uh, he, they they hook, they got the hook in early. Yeah. Um, Mike. <laughs> you think we should do it in our cultural hall, Mike? Dress up a girl and depicting an abortion with blood all over her crotch. You think that's effective? Uh, that, that's a bit much. But uh, you know, we have our uh, airplane thing that's similar, and I think we should do that more often. All right. <sighs> All right. Well, if if anyone comes out to Kansas City during October, I will take you to four of the coolest uh, spook houses out here, and one of them is called the Edge of Hell. Um, I'm sorry, Phoenix, your your spook houses suck compared to Kansas City. Nice. But is Jesus <laughs> Jesus at the end or not? Because then I'm not, not I'm not sure if I'm interested. There's no there's no redemption. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's an awesome slide at the end where uh, you go from the, the fourth floor down. It's it's really cool. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, as always, the discussion continues over on the website, mormonexpression.com. Thanks, guys, for coming on and talking about the devil and a bunch of other stuff. 
You need to Happy- see Legend, Glenn. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Good times. Boo. Happy Halloween. Boo. <laughs> Eyes are on.